The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize That they will never see the pee Yes, sir. We are right back at it. It's all eyes on Cleveland Week 10 Texans edition with the great, the smartest man in Cleveland when it comes to football, the one and only Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report will be with us tonight. You are in the right place if you've got it locked here on all eyes on Cleveland. Tremendous Tremendous show ahead. Hope that you are excited because I'm fired up. We're ready to go. We're ready to break it all down. We're going to give you uh, everything that you need to know going forward and looking towards Texans week here. Deshaun Watson. Um, This team appears to be better than their record to me. Headed up by Romeo Cornell now that they've removed the stooge O'Brien. Uh, so we will see how that goes, but uh, not not much of resistance from their defense, but certainly they have a number of offensive threats, uh, which will make it for a, uh, I think they'll be a formidable opponent, opponent, a very winnable game for the Browns, but uh, a tough game nonetheless. One that, uh, they're all tough now, baby. They're all tough now. Five and three vying for that playoff spot. It's going to get tight. It's going to get exciting. They got lots of big games ahead. They all matter now. They're all must-wins now. Come on, baby. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Mikey's on the ones and twos. I'm your host, Brad Ward. You start getting excited. Yes, feels so good to be back, all eyes on Cleveland, your 5-3 and three Browns coming off their bye week, our self-scout edition, I did a self-scout article that you can find it at USA Today Sports Media Group's thebrownswire.com, talking about uh, self-scouting the Browns offense, mainly about Baker's you know, uh, ability to adjust from pre-snap to post-snap reads and how the Browns can incorporate some motion in there to get the defense moving, help him uh, get a better idea of what the uh, intentions of the defense are after the ball is snapped. And then it talked about the need for a deep threat there uh, with the Odell Beckham Jr. being gone. The Browns really have to incorporate a deep threat um, in order just to keep teams honest, just having him on the field kept teams honest, kept them in two high safety looks most of the time. 
They'll be creeping people up in the box now. They want to stop that run, and, and the Browns have to keep them honest by even just throwing a couple deep balls a game. Who's going to be that deep threat? I think it's Donovan Peoples-Jones, but uh, we'll talk more about that later on in the show. We've got a fantastic guest tonight, the best guest you can get, in my opinion, Jake Burns, film analyst and football writer at the Orange and Brown Report. He heads up the OBR Film Breakdown. You can go to that YouTube channel. He's fantastic. All of his work is top notch, top, top notch. Uh, you are uh, listening to Mikey. Go ahead and kill that there. Mikey is uh, on the ones and twos. If I, uh, I think I already mentioned that, but Mikey's doing a great job as usual. Thank you, sir. Uh, over there, we are prepping for the YouTube kickoff, uh, or or you know it'd be uh, simulcast YouTube, uh, Facebook Periscope. I believe is what we're gonna go with, um, and. Uh, working that out if we've got the cameras in place i'm just uh working on so like it's kind of weird right like you want to uh be able to look it's weird because i'm not using we're using a different camera and um to shoot more of a not just a close-up on my face like i kind of hate like that i mean it's nothing against anybody's show that does that but just like Boom! Face! That's all you get is face! Shoulders and up face. So this is going to be a more of a, uh, like a, a shot of, like, the desk area where I'm at here in the studio, the home studio. And, um, and, and, you know, with backdrop and everything. And then, you know, that we have here, I've got the, the sound pads and everything behind me. And, and I think we'll probably hang the All Eyes on Cleveland behind me there uh you know uh it's a big uh i don't know what you would call it piece of cloth tapestry there we go tapestry thanks mikey tapestry uh all eyes on cleveland tapestry behind me with over the uh, black uh sound uh pads in here so it's nice and then but the one thing I, i was figuring out here is i was looking at it you know if you're gonna talk to somebody on an interview you want it to look like you're looking at the camera, right? Well, the way the camera's set up, if I'm looking at the computer screen and then, then you know, uh, to talk to the person we're interviewing, then I'm not looking at the camera, which looks weird. It just looks weird when you're in an interview setting, right? Like, uh, so I think we've got that figured out. It's going to take uh, some some little tricky stuff, but these are things I didn't really account for at the beginning of all this, so, um, but yeah, we'll be making that transition, I promise, here soon, and not that, you know, uh, anybody's foaming at the mouth for it, but I think it's the way to go, it's the way things are going with podcasts today, and we're trying to stay up with that, and I think you'll be happy with the show when it, when it comes that way as well, because then, now we'll be able to, we're going to be able to incorporate visuals and take a look at things differently. Uh, it'll make for a better show. Uh, the interviews are better when you can see the people for sure. Um, and uh, I, I think that you will enjoy it. So uh, stay tuned for that, certainly, if you're a fan of the show. We appreciate you listening. Uh, we're going to get to the interview here. We're working that interview in real time. Mike, you've been killing that lately. Uh, so we'll have J- Jake on the line here soon. Uh, the show is sponsored by Thrive Fantasy App. 
Thrive Fantasy app is a daily fantasy sports app, but it's unlike DraftKings. It's unlike FanDuel uh, or any of those other ones where you have to make teams, right? Uh, it, it's really a disadvantage when you go play there unless you really know what you're doing um, and you just put in a lineup. You don't realize that there's pros out there with, you know, unlimited data that has been, you know, imported into a uh, optimizer which spits out 150 different iterations of a lineup. I mean, you really stand no chance against that if you're just, you know, putting one lineup in. So, you know, to have sustained success doing that uh, is difficult. Now, Thrive Fantasy app is different. It's prop bets. There's none of that. You can't incorporate that. You can't mass multi-enter uh, mass enter uh, tournaments, uh, so guaranteed prize pools, get in there, you pick the prop bets you want, say they lay out 15 for football, I believe, on Sundays, and you go ahead and pick your 10 favorite that you like, you pick them, if you nail them, you're going to cash, you're going to win cash, cold hard cash, sometimes you can win a lot of cash, up to $1,000 for first place sometimes, so... Uh, the point system is interesting. The, the longer odds, the better, the more points you can get. So if you can seek out those ones that you think you might have an edge on on a prop bet, that's a way to maybe get an edge on your opponent with some, some more points on getting one of those right. It's a really strategical, fun way to approach daily, daily fantasy sports, whether you take it seriously or you just do it to, to have some fun. You know, throw $5 in. Throw, throw twenty bucks in. Say that's it. You know, I'm just going to play twenty bucks. But you get some get some action going. It's fun. It makes watching the games a better time for sure. Uh, Thrive Fantasy app. Use the promo code Eyes, as in all eyes on Cleveland. The show you're listening to. Use the promo code Eyes E Y E Z when you sign up today, and you will receive. An instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Speaking of www's, you also want to go to alleyesoncleveland.com. That's the webpage. All the shows are there. Uh, All the uh, links uh, player links, pictures, news on the show, um, everything, the breakdowns of what's in every show, um, the guests, uh, what they do, everything that you could want on All Eyes on Cleveland is at alleyesoncleveland.com. Go check it out. You can leave a voicemail there for us. We'll play it live on the air. If you've got a hot take, a question, mailbag question, whatever you want, just click the little voice thing at the bottom, leave us a message. Awesome. Very cool. While you're there also, you can leave us a, uh, of course, subscribe, right? But you can leave us a review. If you hate what we're doing, that's fine. Tell me why you hate it. We just want to get better. Me and Mikey, we just want to get better every time we're out, right? Just like the Browns, we want to fix mistakes, get better every time we're out. And uh, so if you don't like something we're doing, let us know. Leave a review. More than happy to read that and uh, take your feedback. If you love what we're doing, let us know that too. Even better. Awesome. Uh, so we'll be publishing our show tomorrow at alleyesoncleveland.com. And plus, you can find it 
where all popular podcasts are found. That's including iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn app, Radio.com, Google Play, etc. Anywhere, anywhere that there's podcasts, we will be there. So we're zoning in now on the uh, second half of the season. It's crucial. It was a tough uh, bye week just because the Browns got leapfrogged by a couple teams uh, and knocked out of the playoffs. Not that that matters at this point, um, but it's the Dolphins, right? And it's the Raiders right now. And uh, the Browns have a favorable schedule. The three big ones are the Tennessee game, the Baltimore game, and then who knows what week is going to come of week 17 when the Browns uh, host the Steelers. They're undefeated, even though... And I brought this to Ken Carmen's attention on his show. He read the tweet, my tweet on the show, talked about the him and Anthony talked about it. It was a nice segment. The Steelers look like shit on Sunday. I don't know what happened. They came out flat uh, against a bad Dallas team. Dallas played probably the best game I've seen them play all year. Uh, unfortunately, they're, you know, promising young corner who's gotten picked on and played much better recently, Stefan Diggs. Uh, brother Trayvon Diggs uh, at cornerback uh, out for the rest of the season, I believe. Uh, but he, you know, he played great for them. They they played a hell of a game against uh, Pittsburgh. Had it won, and a roughing the passer call, hand to the face, pretty weak stuff. I know they got to call it, but it was weak as shit. And, uh, of course, Ben gets the flag, uh, and, and they, it's, it saves their day as they, it extends the drive on a third and long, uh, and they go down to win, win the game on a game winning drive on a, uh, roughing the passer call. I was pretty pissed off at that on Sunday. Um, Baltimore beats the Colts. That's relevant as we have the tiebreaker over the Colts. So, you know, uh, but they lose another game and fall back. But the surprising uh, stuff is the Dolphins beat Arizona in an impressive fashion as Tua makes his debut. And then, of course, um, the Raiders, uh, who are just a thorn in our side after that blustery, windy day here in Cleveland. They came and kind of kicked our ass in the trenches all over the field and then now have... Uh, moved on to get a big win over the Chargers, who also is a team I think is better than their record uh, at this point, especially uh, with their gunslinging young quarterback there, So, uh, who I think is very impressive. Uh, so the, you've got the Raiders and the Dolphins in the 6-7 and seven spot right now, which is the spots the Browns are vying for. Now, if COVID interferes, just to keep you updated on this, if COVID interferes and a game is forced to be missed, the uh, league will expand the playoffs to eight games in the AFC, or pardon me, eight teams in the AFC, eight teams in the NFC. So interesting that that is out there looming. Browns can't depend on that, though. you got to be going in for that 7-6 spot. I'm going to talk a question I have for Jake about future big picture, you know, uh, 20,000 feet view-wise, how important is it to make the playoffs this year? 
or is nine and seven and you know being above five hundred? Can you consider that the next step? What you know? Obviously, you want to make the playoffs. You want to get off that snide. I think it's important, um, and more than anything, fans. We deserve it. We need it. This team can do it. Um, my topic when we come back from the interview, which we're going to go to here right in a second, will be uh, what changes I think should be made on the defense. And I've got a number of notes on that. It won't take long. But without any further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, he is seriously the smartest guy, football guy in Cleveland, and we are thrilled to have him. I believe that we have Jake Burns on the line. Mikey, get him queued up there. And we are absolutely thrilled to welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland for his second appearance uh, and uh, absolutely excited to have him, as always, on the show. Uh, He's my favorite Browns follow and what I consider probably to be the smartest football man in the city. Jake Burns, uh, film analyst and football writer at the OBR, the Orange and Brown Report. You can follow him on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18. How are we doing today, Jake? I'm great, Brad. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Thrilled to have you on here and talk about everything going on with Browns. They are coming off the uh, all-important self-scout week. Kevin Stefanski talked today, uh, got asked about, you know, potential personnel changes uh, coming off the scout week. He he didn't really, a self-scout week, he didn't deny any of it. Uh, Do you think we'll see any of that coming off of the uh, uh, self-scout, taking a look at yourself? kind of from the uh, lens of as if you were going to play yourself there. Um, do you think we'll see any personnel adjustments? I think it's all on the table, Brad. I, do, I certainly think that they'll look at ways in which they can open up their offense a little bit, if that means getting Taewon Taylor a few more snaps. Or, you know, last last game they obviously had everybody healthy except for Odell and the wide receiver group, and Kadero Hodge got uh, quite a few more snaps than, uh, um, than, than Donovan Peoples-Jones. Could see some changes there. Obviously, Nick Chubb will be back. Wyatt Teller will be back. You'll see an increase in run productivity just by virtue of getting two talented players back there. Um, you know, I think you'll see a little bit more diversity in how they approach those things, a little bit more running from the shotgun in predictable pass situations, and under center a little bit more seven-step, five-step drop to uh, to eliminate some tendencies there. Because you mentioned self-scout, and it's, it's very important to – yeah. To take a, you know, th- these guys didn't get a ton of time to prep before the season. They didn't really get a chance. You know, it's an opportunity before the year to feel out what are we really good at and what are we not good at. And I think Kevin Stefanski gave a great interview just last week during their bye week, uh, kind of an interview about what the process has been to feel out what Baker Mayfield does well, what he doesn't do well, what he prefers, what makes the offense tick. Those things have an opportunity to iron themselves out far earlier in a regular season. Uh, and I shouldn't say regular season in terms of like the, the eight games, but a regular yeah. preparation for a season, a regular preseason opportunity. All of those things have a tendency, like I said, to iron themselves out a little sooner. I think the Browns viewed the first eight games a little bit like a, a warped preseason and in the first few weeks of the year. They, they probably feel like they're in a much better place now offensively to be able to handle uh, what's in front of them in terms of what the team does well, what it doesn't do well, what they've been doing uh, far too much of. I broke down the, the, the screen game, 
was yes. a really big issue. Um, they, they obviously have not been as effective in the screen game. They've only thrown 12 screen passes, yeah. uh, which is far fewer than the 53 total for the entire year last year. They're well, 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 well below the pace of all screens that they threw with the Vikings last year with Kevin Stefanski's offense. And Baker Mayfield himself threw 73 screens last year. Uh, in, in the offense with with Freddie Kitchen, so yeah. it's a big aspect of the game that they're not doing. And I'm not just talking about running backs; I'm talking about tight ends and wide receivers and all of it. And they're way behind there, and that's an element of an offense that's, you know, it, it thrives on the best way this offense moves is is with deception, and and a big part of any deception based NFL offense is catching teams in screen game at the right time. So. Uh, yeah, if you haven't had a chance to read that, I wrote about that. It's on my Twitter page and on the OBR still, and it, it's out there. But that's that's some some things you'll see during self-scout week is how do we get better? What are we doing too much of? What are we not doing enough of? What are we not taking advantage of? That's the offense. Defense, uh, I think you might see some linebacker personnel changes, a few more snaps from Malcolm Smith, a few less snaps from Mac Wilson, finding mm-hmm. a way to get more defensive backs on the field to, to give them some diversity in their pass game approach. The biggest thing, I want to see, and you could see some tweaks at safety. You could see a little less Anderson Dejo, a little bit more maybe Carl Joseph and Ronnie Harrison fitting on the field together. Yeah. It's certainly a possibility. But the communication issues are the things that have to get better, and that's what I hope they're ironing out. Too many times in the first eight weeks, there's miscommunication happening in the secondary that leads to broke coverage, uh, or as some people call a bust in coverage and, and people running wide open. Or if you pay close attention to the pre-snap, how many times these guys are yelling at each other to get lined up, up until the very last moment before the ball snapped leading to miscommunications or putting themselves in the wrong position to make a natural play. So, you know, defensively, they're always going to be limited at this point. Their their, their personnel is not as good as it needs to be. But the things that they can control, uh, and that's communication, and that's getting properly lined up, and that's understanding where everybody's supposed to be, those are the things you need to see improve. So, you know, like I said, safety, you could see some tweaks in, in, in snap count usage and certainly linebacker too. But for the most part up front, probably going to stay uh, pretty much the same. And, and certainly at corner, you're probably going to see a, a pretty steady mix still of, of, of uh, Money Mitch and, and, and Denzel and, and Kevin Johnson and the like. So um, some little che- che- you know tweaks here and there, but you're most excited about everybody getting a week off to recharge batteries and getting back your two, two top five offensive players, obviously. Getting healthy. And Chubb. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, now, I read the, your screen game piece, and I, it, you, like you said, it's at the OBR, uh, and uh, I recommend everybody go read it, check it out. The, the, the interesting thing about it, and when I was reading it, and you, you know, you watch the portion of the screens that were run with the Vikings, I mean, they're very creative and very effective. I mean, like, incredibly effective and very creative, and it's weird that they would go away from that. I mean, I, I don't understand why the lack thereof. Do you think you have an answer for that? It's tough, Brad. It's tough. They could be some we're not good enough at it yet. There could be an element of we haven't called it. You know, a couple of those screens that have been run, if you watch the video clips I posted, if, yes, it, 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 some of them have been plays that didn't develop the right way. One against Pittsburgh in the second half on their first drive coming out of, of halftime. They, they tried to run one of those, uh, you know, sell, quick play action run concept to the right with that reverse over the top and fake yes. the pitch on the reverse and throw the screen. Well, the, you know, Pittsburgh called the perfect blitz at the perfect time and Bud Dupree smacks Baker in the back before anything can even happen. Or Cincinnati, they ran the exact same scheme week two Cincinnati at home in the night game. They tried to run it again and Cincinnati just kind of sat on it. Like there, you, you know, screen game isn't just a thing that just happens to work. The NFL athletes are too good in terms of like, you know, guys at the high school level or, or college level, you can fool them, and and in the screen game allows your guys to win with speed. In the NFL, you have to really fool people 
or catch him in the right time. And he has to, the, the situation, I guess what I'm saying is the situation and the tendency from the defense to run a certain look or bring a certain number of people has to work out. I think Kevin would probably tell you they haven't run enough of them, period. They need yeah. to do more of it. They need to do simple screens, wide receiver screens. They've done a decent amount of tight end screens as right now. I think Austin Hooper's like second in the tight end. Uh, catches and screen passes, so they're okay there. But they have to find a way to get Nick Chubb going. I mean, a big part of Dalvin Cook's game and a big part of what he just did last week in Green Bay and and, uh, and, just, and just this most recent week was he's effective at catching the ball and setting up runs in the screen. And I think Nick Chubb was second in the NFL in receiving yards and screen passing last year, which is pretty crazy considering he doesn't have a ton of receiving yards in general. So, you know, when they get Nick and Kareem uh, an effective part of the screen game, I think that they can become an even better offense than we've seen uh, and, and those elements. So I think they got to find ways to run a little bit more of it. They got to find ways to make sure that when they do run some deceptive screen stuff, they block it up the right way. Yeah. And, uh, and I, but I listen, I think that they're sitting at 12 screens right now. If they don't get to 35 or 40 by the end of the year, then something, something's amiss. And it's certainly a question somebody needs to directly ask Kevin. Yeah, that, it seems that way. And I, I mean, from what I read too, it seems like timing and pacing is a big part of that. And maybe lack of continuity or their first year together may have played a factor in that as well, right? Uh, yeah. Because yeah. of the yeah, blocking I mean, on that, it has to be timed up perfectly. It is. It is a very timing based thing. And if you have a group of guys who you're worried about them just understanding the play call or just getting down the basic nuances of the system or understanding how boot action works, some of those things. Uh, you know the the trickier part is is timing based screen passes and uh, and selling the deception it takes while holding your block long enough to to be able to get it to initially happen. So yes, in terms of like what this is for this offense, is it, is it like the basic stuff? I broke down four parts of Kevin Stefanski's offense, and when I broke it down just last year or heading into this year, based on what he did in Minnesota, I thought it was the third most important thing that he did. Hmm. So. I think they have to get it going. They have to find a way to get it going. There certainly is an excuse, like you said, and I even noted in the article the same thing, which is this is a tougher part of an offense. Screen game takes a lot of innate trust and not of, uh, and, and people next to you, uh, yeah. allowing you know so allowing certain players to get after the quarterback almost untouched. You know, you got to let them go sometimes. And, and I think that, like I said, uh, and like you're alluding to, Brad, as they get going and as they have now gone eight weeks and they have more time to practice together, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that the timing on screen should not be an excuse anymore. They should be able to implement those and run them as an effective part of their offense at any moment now. I know Baker missed some of this week, and, and he's missed this early portion with with, uh, with the COVID list and all of that, but you still should be able to to effectively run screen game. And uh, and I really think they need it. They can, they, can, they can launch themselves up another tier or two offensively if they're able to get that to be a part that they can get you know 50 to 100 cheap yards a game from. No question, especially with the athletes out there, you know, uh, Kareem Hunt and, and obviously Nick Chubb, but he, like you said, the tight ends and the wide receivers. So very interesting. Go check that out for sure. Uh, an awesome article, very good videos to break down. Uh, you're uh, amazing at that stuff, Jake. So uh, uh, always enjoyable to read. Uh, I did a piece on the self-scout week, and I focused on two areas, basically Baker – uh, you know, struggling with his pre-snap to post-snap reads, and then and then replacing Odell Beckham Jr. as far as a deep threat goes. Um, if you're going to replace him, my preference was Donovan Peoples-Jones, but he gets three snaps against the Raiders. I, I mean, I don't understand that after the game-winning uh, catch, and he played well the week prior. Um, do you have any kind of explanation there? I mean, I know they're high on Kaderil Hodge. 
but he just doesn't – I don't know if he separates as well or what. Um, he just doesn't get the as many targets, really, I, I didn't think. No, I, I, I'm not sure we can bank much on, on, on the future of this offense based on that game against the Raiders. I know that Kevin had mentioned he had an opportunity. He thought he was going to get Taewon Taylor – uh, involved in some a stuff throughout the week, plays, yeah, exactly. But but he, he, you know, the wind was bad, and I don't think people understand how hard. You know, if you look at the what the Raiders did. There, there was really only one deep shot downfield, and it was a miss by about ten yards. I mean, like the Browns didn't really take many either. When that that wind is whipping, when you when you can throw the football on a direct line on t- anywhere from even ten to fifteen yards, you can you can fight the wind. You can put the nose down and cut through it, but you're really not able to to with that with much touch or feel to to throw a deep ball was really challenging so each team certainly called their offense in a way in which they knew they had to win the game at the zero to ten yard mark and even throwing the football they knew it wasn't going to be a a 25 30 40 45 yard air travel type of throw so i i I don't know what their plan is it could have been Kadero hodge we felt was a better blocking threat and we were running a ton of two tight ends Mm -hmm. one wide receiver even when we snuck two wide receivers on the field we needed two guys we know can block we all know they're very high on Kadero Hodge's blocking capability, and and that could have tied into it. So I don't. I, I thought a lot about this, and it's a good question, Brad. But I, I don't. I don't put a lot of stock into what that game plan was and what the rest of the year will look like. I think they know Donovan can run. He can jump. Uh, he can obviously. He's he's proven that he can go get the football at a high point. I, I think those things are all part of what he can do. I think he'll be an active part of things. Um, I certainly think he presents more long term upside. Uh, for the wide receiver position than Kadarrell. So we'll keep a very close eye on it. But they have two guys that they can, can can be that lid-lifting type of player where even if you're just sending him downfield as a 40, 50-yard decoy, can yep. open up other levels of the field. So I expect uh, I expect certainly uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones to get some snaps, and I won't be surprised if Taewon Taylor does as well. And and uh, I think that'll be a big element, especially you know, it looks like it'll be pretty solid weather this weekend. Uh, Philly, it doesn't seem to, tr- to trend toward poor weather at home and then they travel to jacksonville so you should have three pretty good weather games here and 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 three games that they know that they they really should win these games they if they have intentions of making the playoffs they know they need to win them yeah they're they're all huge now if you want to get in for sure um and uh yeah and it's just important that they find a way to just to keep defenses honest as far as that goes you know so they're not coming up and just sitting on the run or whatever they don't feel like they can go over the top with anybody so it'll be interesting just to make sure that like you said even just as a just to run those routes or throw them once or twice a game you know um be important for them to do going forward baker mayfield uh obviously the topic i'm sure you get asked about baker all the time you do so much work on him it's it's amazing work um but a number of decisions, tough decisions for the Browns coming up here, Jake. Contract decisions looming, including Mayfield's fifth-year option, which is now fully guaranteed. So, you're, I mean, for the Browns, if you make that decision, you're signing a big, fat 20-plus million dollar, $25 million check, right, uh, that is going to cash no matter what um, And to a Baker Mayfield. They have to make a decision on him in eight games. Where do you stand with your analysis of him, and where do you think the Browns are with him on that? So it's a great question. Uh, one, I don't think we have the complete picture to yet. I certainly right. think they're tying. They're t- they, listen. The Browns put themselves behind the eight ball with this decision. You know, you want to go into any big money decision with as much data, as much um, personal connection to the decision as possible. The problem for the Browns is 
Uh, Baker is not a, a, a generational type of talent the way Pat Mahomes is, and I think the way that Deshaun Watson is proving to be as a quarterback as well, where you knew that no matter what happened around him, he was going to be able to overcome the, the circumstances. And the, uh, the perfect example is what Miles Garrett is as a defensive end. And you knew that no matter if you had Greg Williams, no matter if you brought in Steve Wilkes or you brought in whoever, he was going to produce and he was going to be elite. Miles proved it. Didn't matter. We'll sign him. We know he's good. Yeah. The, 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 the problem with Baker is, unfortunately, uh, we, we did not get the sustained production, the sustained performance, the increase over the top of his fantastic rookie year into year two and large portions of year three. <clears> so <throat> what you have now is, is a quarterback who – has an incomplete picture because he's, he's he's been with four head coaches and he's been with three play callers and he's in his third system. And the Browns know they have a big decision coming with him, but they want to see what he is in this offense. The problem is, too, Brad, you look at he didn't have a preseason. He didn't have a, a, yep. a full training camp. The, he didn't have any of the normal stuff leading up to it. So now you're eight games in and you're just hearing the head coach say, OK, now we're finding a level of comfort with this young man. Now we're figuring out what he does and doesn't do well. There's no denying that decision looming is large. The problem is the Browns kept pushing that reset button to have the profile to say whether they could do it or not and feel good about it or not. So I listen. The answer to your question is I don't friggin' know. I don't right. know what they're going to do, and I don't have a great answer for it. Is there an avenue to keeping him because they don't know and they don't want to risk it? Sure. If he plays well the second half of the year, even if it's just above average play. They're probably going to say we should probably just pick up his fifth year because we don't want to put ourselves into quarterback turmoil, et cetera, et cetera. We'll mm. ride it with him. Just that fifth year is guaranteed. We have not given him a long-term deal, but just the fifth year is guaranteed, and we'll go from there. If he stinks up the second half of the year, they'll probably decline it, and they'll say, hey, man, prove it in your fourth year, and we'll try to work something out in your fifth year. But as of now, I don't know that he's a franchise quarterback, and I certainly don't. Unless he proves me wrong and has a stellar second half of the year. And again, you you go back, you won't find a bigger Baker Mayfield supporter as far as grading him as the best quarterback in that class, Mm -hmm. believing in him after his rookie year. But my job is not to support him no matter what. My job is to deliver to you what's going on, what's happening. And he's not the player that we thought he could be. Now, can he get there? Can he become what I call a playmaker and not just a play taker? Mm-hmm. And even sometimes this year, Brad, he struggled to be a play taker at times. Yeah, uh, and taking what's in front of him, I don't, I don't know. That's why they pay Andrew Barry the big bucks, and that's yeah. the big decision that that guy has to make about the whole thing. Is what projection do you guys have? And Kevin Stefanski will be heavily involved in that process of deciding. Hey, man, can you work with this young man the next four or five years, and can it be enough to get us to a Super Bowl? They have to decide that. Is there an element to this thing, Brad, where they could strike up a deal similar to Jimmy Garoppolo, where it's a nice $125 million deal, but it has nice incentives to get out of it in the terms of if Baker proves it and keeps kicking butt, he has incentives that kick in and the Browns are comfortable with that. Or, you know, on the on the contrary with Jimmy's contract, there's a nice way out for the team. If the player's not performing well, the guarantees are quick. If he doesn't reach them, you don't keep him on the roster. The contract burns. You get rid of it. I think there's a level. There's probably a path to that kind of deal. And it probably makes sense for the Browns and Baker because Baker's always been a I'll go out and prove it in the face of adversity type of guy. That's what he's 
He's always that's the mo that he has. And I think that there's a deal out there on the table for these guys. And I'm not. This is no inside reporting. This is just my prediction. Where they say, "Hey, we'll give you X amount of dollars." I don't know what that is. I'm not a capologist. I'm not good at this stuff. But right. I think there's a level of deal out there where they say, "Hey, we'll give you a six-year, five-year, four-year, whatever, five-year, 150 million dollar deal." But in this deal, there's an easy way out for the team. And in that deal, Baker hits this target number or that target number or this many starts or this many roster. Uh, he makes He's on the roster this time, that time, and the other. The deal works itself out. But at hmm. the same time, the Browns protect themselves from Baker playing poorly, maybe having a poor fourth year and into his fifth year it just isn't working out, where they say, okay, we can cut this guy without any sort of major cap burden at this time. I think yeah. that's where it's most likely trending is a deal that works for both sides. Baker says, okay – I probably wouldn't get this deal anywhere else. I might as well take this deal, prove it, prove to the franchise I'm worth it. And that's a way for him to, similar to Jimmy Garoppolo, who got money early when he went to San Francisco, which yep. is you got to prove yourself. I'm going to take this money because if I do prove myself the way I believe in myself, I'll get the money that's on the table and the franchise will keep paying me. So that's where I think it's most likely headed because the Browns have been quarterback list for the longest time. They know they can't just let him waltz out the door without any sort of contingency plan, uh, you know, currently. So there's, there's an element to both sides protecting themselves while also being an avenue where both sides can come to some sort of an agreement. So that's just kind of my early prediction. Yeah. And, and damn Jake, you know, that's, that makes the most sense by far of anything I've heard anybody say. And, um, because my issue is this, right? Long term, the arrow is pointed up for the Browns. So it's it's going to be hard no matter what you determine. So say they determine that, you know, Baker's okay and everything, but I don't think we can win anything of significance with him. That's where the problem is. It's like, okay, can he ultimately get get us to a Super Bowl or that goal? And you determine that he can't do that. When and how do you make that change so that it doesn't disrupt that arrow pointing upwards? That's nearly impossible, uh, except for maybe in a scenario scenario like you laid out there, I guess. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I certainly think that that's uh, – listen, the Browns know they, they screwed this up. They know that they didn't give themselves enough time with the right head coach and the right system yeah. in place to, to amply – uh, 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 I guess, give Baker Mayfield a chance to prove himself. Can they grow from year one to year two to year three? The problem is they don't have a chance to sit there and say, hey, did we grow year one to year two? Because at the end of year, their year one, which is this year, they have to say, hey, do we want to give this guy a fifth-year option with an abundance of money tag to it? Because it's going to be a bigger tag because Mahomes' contract's kicking in, Watson's contract's kicking in. That money will will, will be will be big. That money will be, will be relatively yes. large for the fifth year. So... They have to look at it from, you know, how do we protect ourselves? We, we, we think there's something here with Baker, but we also know that there, there's a way we have to protect the Cleveland Browns franchise from being tied to a contract for a quarterback that's not good. They Absolutely. have to protect themselves from it. And Andrew Barry, listen, I don't, I don't want to be like the, the, the Debbie Downer or the whole thing, but like, you know, what's, what's not said in those press conferences is, is the most important thing. You know, every every GM can have coaches speak and have kind of franchise speak where they they don't ever dog on a player, but they don't you know, they don't they don't necessarily show 100 percent conviction either. If you right. sat down with Texans management before the year, 
they're going to say, hey, we have 100% faith Deshaun Watson is the face of this franchise, and yeah. we are going to do everything in our power to get him signed to a long-term contract. The Dallas, the, the Dallas Cowboys said the same thing about Dak. Now, that obviously hasn't been done, but they're saying, hey, Dak is our guy. He's the face of this franchise. We're going to pay him. They didn't say that. They said Baker's doing all the right things. Baker's, we, we believe Baker's doing the best that he can do, blah, blah, blah. There was no... Right. Baker's the face of this franchise. Baker is the guy we're committed to keeping around. If you prove yourself in year one, year two, year three, and you carry the franchise to place that's never been carried, a la Pat Mahomes, a la uh, Deshaun Watson, whatever, they're going to say those things. They're so saying they didn't, them, yep. they, they didn't say them. And that's not an indictment. They're not saying, hey, we're ready to move on from Baker. But it's the same thing they did, and it's the same thing it told me from when they brought in Case Keenum, which is, we don't know. We, we hmm. are going to give Baker every opportunity in the book to get this thing right, prove to us he's worth more than the average quarterback, prove to us he can carry our offense when it needs carried, prove to us he can put the put this team on his back and take them different places that we didn't know uh, this team could go. The stuff you need your quarterback to do with the modern salary cap uh, dynamic for where quarterbacks eat up a large portion of it. You need your quarterback to erase some problems on the team. You ha- They yeah. have to do that. And if they don't erase problems on your team, overcome them, then they have to fit into a figure that allows you to build pieces around them to make them better. So it's just the fact of the matter is Baker's not gotten there. I'm not here to sit on this podcast or my podcast or any other uh, interview that I do and say the Browns don't believe in Baker Mayfield. That's not the case. But what I'm saying is they're keeping all of their options and they're keeping them tight to the vest. They're saying, hey, we need to have a contingency plan in place if he doesn't get play well this year. We have that contingency plan in place with, with Case Keenum. Hey, he's playing okay. Not the great quarterback we, we were hoping he would be in year three. We're not going to commit to him long term. Maybe here's a contract that we can give him that protects us while also rewarding Baker if Baker does take those big steps. So there's some of that going on. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, as they should play close to the vest, certainly. And uh, uh, you're right. It's it's what's not said. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest Jake Burns, film analyst and football writer at the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, great stuff there, Jake. It's a very layered and uh, complicated uh, scenario, certainly. Uh, that they have to work through, and uh, but I, I feel good about you know that Stefanski will be back and Barry will be back, and they that's a step in the right direction for me. So um, yeah, right. Brad, you're right. All those pieces are in place, man. Listen, oh, I, I, the, the good thing is they have a head coach they like. They have a, they have a GM they they think is going to be able to continue to do a good job. They're they're just trying to protect themselves. They're not going to tie themselves to anybody they think long term isn't going to be able to produce at the money value that they bring them in at. So, um, you know, the good thing is Browns fans should feel optimistic about the fact that if that if that kind of deal happens, it's a very wise move that yeah. protects the Cleveland Browns. And it's not a group in the front office saying, well, we haven't had a quarterback for 20 years. We might as well just sign this guy long term. Well, that's yeah. not how it works, man. There's there's yeah. it's more convoluted. Like you mentioned, there's more to it. You want the Browns to keep the Browns best interest in option or sorry, in in, in perspective. And while at the same time, giving Baker Mayfield an avenue, if he does produce, if he does figure it out to make the money he wants, and, and, and that would be the best for, for both sides. So, yeah. No question. Uh, well said. All right, so it uh, looks like we're going to get Nick Chubb and Wyatt Teller back, which is absolutely huge. Now, it's it's funny. Before the season, I, I joked – I had Doug Lay Maurice on the show, and I, I joked with him about uh, the Browns, and he joked about it too. We were laughing about how the Browns would use Kareem Hunt – uh, equally or more than Chubb at times, 
uh, and maybe to save his body a little bit and, you know, maybe devalue him even to the Browns' advantage, kind of laughing about that in a way if they wanted to do that, come extension time. Well, it seems that Chubb missing time uh, may have made him appear more valuable, doing the exact opposite of what I said. So, uh, is I guess my question is, is, the, is that real about Nick Chubb, you think, or is it more of Wyatt Teller? Because they missed at the same time. So it's kind of hard to decipher which, is it just a combination of both? Or is it really that they missed Nick Chubb that much? Or did they really actually miss Wyatt Teller that much? Listen, I've seen Nick Chubb take a, take an offensive line that has two good players out of five and, and turn turn out 1,400-yard seasons. Like, he, he's he's good, man. He's really yeah. good. Yeah. And there's no way around it. You you now put Wyatt Teller in front of him. You put you put the, the collective five up there that they have, and, and Nick is at 100% healthy, uh, a, a really valuable asset. And that, that ties back to uh, the Baker discussion before, which is, you know, if you don't have to spend an egregious amount of money on a quarterback, well, listen, any franchise Brad would trade is spending Pat Mahomes' money to have Pat Mahomes, right? Like, that's, that's no simple. question. But, but there's also other avenues here, which is like looking at what San Francisco did, which is, uh, pay the the rest of the roster, have the rest of the roster really support and prop up the quarterback. Sometimes quarterbacks prop up the rest of the roster. Sometimes the rest of the roster props up the quarterback. So, like, that can happen. There's no one recipe that is perfect to winning a Super Bowl. We saw the Denver Broncos with the corpse of Peyton Manning at the time make yep. the Super Bowl and win it. And there's ways to do that. But you have to look at how, how you structure that quarterback contract that allows you to do that. I think the best avenue for the Browns to go down right now, and I think that they should certainly look at what you're talking about, the data is the data. Nick Chubb makes a difference. He's he's one of the top three Dalvin Cook type of player, man. He makes your offense better. Is that good enough on its own to win enough football games in the NFL? No. Nobody's saying that. But you also need to look at the whole recipe. How does the whole recipe produce for the whole season? And when you add Nick Chubb into that recipe, it takes your, your meal up to a whole other level, man. Like it just, hmm. it, he, He's just that good. He's able to find running lanes that Kareem Hunt, as good as Kareem Hunt is, and I, I love – the player Kareem Hunt is fantastic in, uh, in several assets, or sorry, in several different uh, aspects of the position. Great pass catcher, really, really, really great pass catcher, mm-hmm. um, and 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 he's a willing blocker, and he's he's a nice uh, one cut running back. But he does not see zone blocking the way Nick Chubb does. Nick Chubb has a way of seeing two beats ahead. I always tell this example, man, where it is, you know, what made LeBron or is still obviously making LeBron so special is he's a two-beat player. He's two beats ahead of everybody around him. He sees the game unfolding two beats ahead. Imagine Johnson always talked about that, seeing the game two beats ahead. The best of all time can do that. Hmm. Nick is a two-beat runner. He can see things unfolding two paces before he makes his actual move and it's it's unique it's what the best at the position are able to do and 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 nick is 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 he's just he's really i don't know what other to say it sometimes language can escape you when you're trying to describe really good play he's really freaking good he's and special. it's yeah. not he's he's very special it's not it's not often to, you can you can find a way to duplicate that and especially not putting all that burden on one player we talk about how the Browns are going to replace Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham is a special and unique player in the fact that he can do several different different aspects of the wide receiver position really well. He can separate. He can run intermediate routes well. He does a nice job on backside crossers. He can also take the lid off the defense. He can create yards after catch. You don't replace Odell Beckham with one player. You try to get a couple different players, maybe three involved, to do the different things he does well. And that's what makes Odell so 
so special. It's so much worth the money he's he's paid is because he can take what three guys can do and do it with one guy on the field all the time. Well, yeah. Well, Nick Nick is the same sort of player. He can take what multiple guys can. You don't replace Nick Chubb with one player, and that's tough for Kareem Hunt to do, especially in <clears throat> a scheme that he's not really all too all too accustomed to. Certainly didn't play in that scheme in Kansas City is a lot to ask. Now Kareem did well. He did well as he could, but getting Nick back and having Nick be the lion's share carrier of the football is a difference for this Browns offense. So I think the biggest thing that the front office has to do is find a way to fit Baker, find a way to pay Nick uh, a reasonable contract, and and, 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 and and in that discussion where they say they have to pick and choose, the only small benefit, and I guess you can air quotes it a benefit, is that if you don't have to pay your quarterback ridiculous chunk of the salary cap, you can fit and piece other guys under that that you would normally pay the ridiculous quarterback money to. So yeah. I think that they would be silly to let Nick Chubb walk out the door when the time comes. And uh, and to be honest with you, Brad, quite frankly, I don't expect them to. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, there was a time where I questioned it, but, you know, he is so special and he's such a I mean, he's the ideal player, right? He's the ideal like just he's you know, he's going to go to work. He's, he keeps his mouth shut. He just does his job and he's spectacular at it. And him and with Kareem Hunt already signed, I mean, they, they just complement each other so well that it is a really nice scenario that can prop up maybe not your perfect quarterback, but maybe an adequate one, right, um, to another level. So I absolutely agree with you. It seems to make total sense at this point to try to get him signed to an extension. Plus, you know, the the, the running back deals, the market on running backs has kind of come back to earth a little bit since the girly deal and whatnot, right? We saw a more more reasonable deals in the last year or so to running yeah, backs. So yeah, that, yeah. that should be good. There's no doubt about that. The deals have been... Uh, uh, I, I think in a, in a, they've they've stopped peaking at ridiculous levels. Now McCaffrey yes. gets paid like McCaffrey does because he's not just a runner. He is a he is a full on offensive weapon, and that was how his agent went into that conversation because you know you don't get the guys over a hundred catches out of the backfield. Like hey, look, McCaffrey's just different, and that's okay. He does different things. Kamara does different things. But you're looking at Nick and weighing just the run game aspect of it. I think they can find a really nice balanced contract that pleases Nick. Keeps yep. Nick behind an offensive line that he knows is going to be good for the foreseeable future. And uh, and ties him to a system that he's really good at, too. So it's like the peripheral of the whole thing for Nick makes sense, too, uh, in terms of getting paid early. And I think that that's the big thing. Pay yeah. early. I think they'll pay him early. I wouldn't even be surprised, Brad, if they get a deal done this offseason. Yeah. Um, in terms of the pay early aspect to keep him happy. Uh, he, he say, hey, we'll eat up a year of your rookie contract to pay you a little early. Maybe it isn't quite as much, but we'll pay, a, you know, we'll pay up a year early. And, that, and, and running back shelf life and, and a guy you know, looking at the position now with another knee injury on top of his, his college knee injury, he might say, hey, man, give me the money. I need to yeah. cash in while I can cash in. And the Browns might be able to find the best of both worlds for both the franchise and the player. Makes a lot of sense. Sure does. Uh, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Jake Burns with us tonight uh, in a special episode here as we head into uh, Week 10, uh, hosting the Texans at First Energy Stadium. Uh, so I want to talk about the defense here a little bit, uh, which is a tough <laughs> a tough topic to uh, breach at this point. But, so, we, you know, they go into self-scout on the defense. You mentioned a little bit of the stuff earlier that we could see some personnel changes. I was going to actually ask you uh, that if you thought we could maybe see a Ronnie Harrison, uh, Carl Joseph combo. And then along the same lines of that, when we're looking at personnel on the defense side, do you think Ronnie Harrison is part of their big picture? Do you envision them? Do you think that 
they envision Harrison and Delpit as a combination in the future? I think they have to. I certainly think that they traded for Roddy Harrison hoping he could handle the role uh, with a minimal, you know, giving up very minimal in terms of, of him being able to fill a role that they were they were worried they weren't going to be able to fill, which is a box safety who can also do a little bit of some other stuff in terms mm-hmm. of sneaking out, playing a tight end, sneaking out, playing the flat and curl flat, also being able to play too high when necessary uh, or cover three schemes. They don't ask him to play a ton of deep middle by himself, but just, just some different uh, intermediate level things, and he's he's fine. He's a physical guy. He's a big guy, obviously. He can handle uh, playing close to the line of scrimmage. He can run and be a little bit range. He's not a, he's not a real fast player. But he can be rangy enough and at the second level to disrupt some things. Uh, obviously, I, I just think he's going to be. I don't mean to, to to cap what he is, but he's just going to be an adequate safety for them, which is important. You need that type of guy. You need yes. adequate defensive players, uh, and I think he can be that. I think they can pay him to be that. Uh, you know, just a, just a pretty a pretty good player. I don't know that he'll ever get to Pro Bowl level or All Pro or anything like that, but he can be an above average to good safety. And that's fine. I think they drafted Grant Delpit thinking he could be a Pro Bowl to, to all pro level safety. And Grant has that ability because he has the multifaceted uh, you know, capability in terms of being able to play to play center field, to play too high, to play man to man on guys when he needs to play man to man. They saw him as sort of maybe a guy who can be a hybrid type and be able to fit all over the place. That obviously didn't pan out with the injury, but I think those two are the future of the position for all the right reasons. Young guys. Uh, able to 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 do some different things back there, and I think the the Delpit injury obviously hurt them. If you take and you might say, well, you know, you can't you can't really count on those guys. You, you can't count on rookies. It's a mistake. Well, look at what Winfield's doing for Tampa Bay. You take Antoine Winfield off the field yeah. for Tampa Bay's defense, and it's a completely different defense. So yep. you do kind of have good players you bring in that you expect to be early contributors, and the Browns expected Grant to be an early contributor the same way. You know, Winfield's able to be a contributor for Tampa Bay. So, yeah, the future of the position is those two. Does that mean Ronnie, uh, um, you know, does that mean, sorry, Carl Joseph is out of the picture in terms of being a third guy? I don't know. I would love to see those three be an anchor in that position for a long time. We'll yeah. see what the contracts end up shaping up like uh, next year for, for Carl and all of that. But, yeah, those two guys, those two young guys are, are certainly a big part of what they can do uh, from a, from a – physicality standpoint and coverage standpoint and, and hopefully in the future when, when grant comes back if he's able to get back to to who we thought he could be pre-injury uh they could have a pretty good safety uh pretty good safety room so joe woods brought over this the uh um what they did in san francisco that you know seattle cover three press bail he's mixed it in with a ton of cover four right they play just play zone and the zone is real soft and teams kind of walk up and down the field on them the past few weeks right uh, do you see a scheme change at all or him making an adjustment like right like they they've tried to get home with four in a lot of games and you know I, I asked this question to a couple people uh, Jake but you know the one game they did blitz I'm trying to, to remember which game it was exactly it seemed like they brought uh, Kevin Johnson on every single play like I, is it does Joe Woods come across as maybe too vanilla at this point can he get a little more creative on the defensive side of the ball they certainly are are getting chunked gashed in the pass game and the run game at this point <laughs> yeah. I, I mean it feels like you would want to maybe take this opportunity this bye week to adjust something there your defense is having a hard time like you mentioned communication wise so much of 
those zones and especially the co- the cover three zone you know, is is that matchup man-to-man, passing a guy from zone to zone. They struggle with the communication aspect of that. Sendejo does a terrible job of looking for work and finding work. He lets so much develop in front of him. It's crazy. I hate it. It's hard to watch even, you know, on the film. So, like, it feels like they would want to make some adjustments there. Listen, man, I've I've been calling it a, a bend, but go ahead and bend, but go ahead and break two defense. Like you can you can be a bend, but don't break. But you have to be able to not actually break, and they're breaking too. So like, you know, you can be a defense that allows plays to happen between the twenties and uh, and all the way down to your own twenty yard line. But if you can keep teams out of the end zone and, and have them kick field goals, you can win a ton of NFL games. And right. like, they've done a good job. I'll give them some credit. They've created some turnovers in enough games. That's given their offense some shorter fields and some chances to get points on the board. You know, you think maybe uh, the Washington game, you think the uh, Colts game, uh, they've given their offense chances to get on the field and in and, and, and short fields and make touchdowns happen. And it's been a nice, a nice recipe. But but when they need to get stops that don't come from the from the unforeseen or unpredictable, I should say, turnover, uh, they've not been able to. And teams that control the football, Cincinnati, um, you know, Pittsburgh. Uh, those teams who are able to control the ball, Oakland was able to control the ball. Um, you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win many games, Brad. You're just, you're not because you can't. They can't get stops on third down. No, uh, they, they, they cannot, they cannot get stops in the red zone when they need to get stops, and it's causing a ton of frustration issues. You know, a lot of people talk about the David Njoku drop against the Raiders and you know, I get it. It it sucked, but the Browns are off the field. I timed it. They were off the field for 25 minutes. Their offense didn't see the field. It's cold. It's windy. They haven't been on the field. They get on the field. You run one route and you go over the middle and you drop it. And and, and it's like, there's no flow. There's no rhythm to the game. Exactly. When your defense can't get off the field, it's a big problem. You're right. They're playing a ton of cover three, which is fine. I can be fine with it. If you had players who could react in zone match and coverage, but they don't, they don't, they don't pattern match well. Uh, they only have so many guys who have a natural zone coverage feel. Uh, Denzel is at his worst. And look, Denzel's played fine football. He's been good. But he's at his worst when he has to react in zone coverage. It's why he's yeah. given up four touchdowns, uh, which was tied uh, after last week, was tied for the most in the NFL. But he's been good. But he's given up, tu- he's given up touchdowns. You know, they, they, they are certainly not trusting enough man coverage. They rely on the front four to get pressure. And traditionally, Woods has had pretty good linebackers who can cover, um, you know, to, in San Francisco and, and, and Denver. And it's just not it's not producing results. They, if it's not Miles getting a pressure, there's no pressure consistency coming exactly. up the middle. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi's been disappointing. Olivier Vernon's been hurt too often to be consistent. Um, so they don't they don't have the ability to rely on the front four. You mentioned you mean, they, they, against Cincinnati on the road there week. Was it week seven? They they kept bringing Kevin Johnson That's what because it was. they just needed. Yep. Yeah, they just needed to get after the quarterback somehow, some way, and uh, they couldn't get any pressure. And, and and Joe Burrow's a very cerebral player. He was picking that that blitz apart. Huh. They have to they have to do more deceptive stuff. They have to get out of predictable cover three stuff. It was frustrating watching the Raiders game because the Raiders just kept running little buckle routes right underneath the curl flat. They yep. knew that the, the the flat defender would take off and cover the flat. Or any threat to the to the wide side, and they were just ducking in. The corners were playing too far off to impact that little buckle route, is what we used to call it, where he sits at four yards right in the window of cover three because you know you're getting cover three. And, yep. and Carr was able to just throw it quickly, a couple balls to Hunter Renfro, and it's like 
they have to have some diversity. They can't just sit in a concept that has worked for San Francisco because San Francisco's had too much talent. Seattle defenses, when Woods was involved with them, had way too much talent. The Denver defense had too much talent. Those talents, the talents on those three in those three systems, far outweighs what they have in Cleveland. So they have got to find some ways to switch up looks, to change coverage, secondary on a quarterback, and 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 disguise pressures give some sugar front stuff, give some different looks that confuses protection and allows them to create some negative plays. If it's not Miles Garrett, they are not organically creating negative plays. And if you can't create negative plays, you can't get off the field in third and fourth down situations, it's going to be a long season for a defense. And that's what they're in the thick of. They created one punt over the last two weeks before. The <laughs> I week. know. It's I a know. massive problem, man. So, you know, you get a mixture of guys who don't, they've got a bunch of guys on defense right now who are just there space fillers guys who don't do anything above the average baseline of what a player should do in a scheme they have two people that can do that one is miles one is denzel outside of that you're just kind of hoping that the offense plays into their hands and uh, and right now they're not creating enough confusion they're not playing above the expectation and when that happens you can find offenses who just pick it apart non-stop so you got deshaun you got even though Carson Wentz has played bad football. If you give him vanilla stuff and you make him feel comfortable, he'll pick you apart. So yes, you got two quarterbacks that are coming into Cleveland with a hunger to shut Cleveland up because of the situations in the past, yep. hungry to prove and, and 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 get big wins for their teams that are trying to make a push. You know, Texans are two and six, but they're still trying to push. They see an opportunity on their schedule to make a big one, and they know they get to three and six, they they have an outside fighting chance. So. Um, yeah, man, two quarterbacks that are going to challenge them and what their, the status quo has been. Yeah, no question. And, and even the NFL with this ruling that potentially COVID, you know, could make it eight teams. It kind of gives some other teams some more life. I mean, a lot of these teams don't feel like they're out of it if they can roll, roll off a couple wins in a row, uh, certainly, um, which changes kind of the uh, landscape of both the AFC and the NFC, which is interesting. I want to ask you about some personnel on the defense side of the ball real quick, just some names, okay? So yep. at linebacker, right, it's been a mess. Um, I, Mac Wilson to me has been disappointing. I don't know if he's hurt or what. Uh, but to me, the only bright spot there has been Jacob Phillips. Uh, I feel like he's a guy with speed and that could help in the future. Do you see anybody else or a, do you agree with that? And B, do you see anybody else that could, is a part of the future at linebacker there? Or is he, are these all just pieces that are disposable after this year? <laughs> That's a good. It's a good question. Uh, we haven't we haven't seen enough Jacob Phillips to know. He he he's been up and down when he's actually played. He's had some flashes, had a couple nice anticipatory plays in the Dallas game, but he's been very up and down when he's mm-hmm. played. I think they obviously view Jacob as a part of what's going to be here for a while, but uh, it's too early for me to sit here on any interview and say, hey. I think he's going to be a bright spot in the future. I, I don't know that yet. They're, like yeah. I said, some flashes, but I don't know. I will say the two guys that have to be playing the rest of the year, B.J. Goodson and, 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 and Malcolm Smith, they're by far their best players, most consistent players at the position. Malcolm Smith, I wrote on him a couple weeks ago, has been pretty solid. He has. I have liked what he's done in the past, uh, especially in coverage. Uh, and they use him specifically for coverage. They need to just keep him on the field. I he's agree. certainly he's he's not a proficient run game linebacker, but he's better than Mac Wilson. Look mm-hmm. to me, this is me, man, and this is it, 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 I could take heat for this, whatever. I'm done with Sione Takitaki and Mac Wilson. I don't see it working out for either of those guys. Mac Wilson, 
is a beat slow in processing. Right now, he's two beats slow in processing. He's a reactionary player, and I, I don't see it working for him. He's an underwhelming athlete. I just The way he got by at Alabama was he played with some anticipation. He's playing with no anticipation over his first two NFL years, and he's getting out-athleted. He's getting out-physical at the point of attack. I don't see it working for him. Sione Takitaki is as lost in coverage as any linebacker I've covered oh. since I've been watching the Browns. They can only play him as a walk down edge support defender in run game situations in a three yep. four or sorry in a four three. Uh, you could call it an odd front. Some teams just call it an over front. He can do a little bit of that and be a run game support defender. But if you expect him to play any zone with any feel at all, he's going to embarrass himself. There's a second half. There's a second half snap uh, series in in the Dallas game where. Dallas and Dak Prescott just picks on him five throws right down the field. They pick on him and he embarrasses himself. He just can't, he can't do it. So can they convert him to maybe an edge guy who's able to just, to just blitz off the, I don't know. Maybe you can find a role for him to fill out his rookie contract, but I don't see either of those two guys being important parts of the rest of the way. Maybe Mac Wilson gets further away from this knee issue. Maybe it's bothering him more than we know, but I'm not banking on that young player to be anything other than what his fifth round grade told us. And, and certainly what his, his his player profile told us from a production and testing standpoint, it's just not going to happen. Very good supporter of the Cleveland Browns and very outspoken on social media, and that's cool yeah. and all. But it's not it's not production on the field. Wasn't last year, is not this year. And he, he, he did more to hurt the defense than any Raiders player did to help uh, their offense. So uh, let me rephrase that. He did more to help the Raiders offense than I think any Raiders <laughs> offensive player did on Sunday. And I, I'm just – trying to be honest like it was no, it was uncomfortable to watch yeah so listen i don't know if bj goodson's a, a long-term part of this thing i have no problem with him being a player who can be here over next year help out maybe they they sort of uh ease a player into that role he's he's a very average middle linebacker but sometimes average is okay he's playing much better than joe Schobert is say that yeah. right now and and at, and at far cheaper cost so He's going to get beat some plays, but he's going to also be able to be decent enough to help your linebacker position. But they got to they got to strengthen it somehow, some way, whether a free agent, whether a draft pick, or something uh, to help out. And maybe that means that Jacob Phillips can pair with that player down the line. I don't know. We'll just have to see. But uh, right now, linebacker is as big a problem as we all feared it would be at the beginning of the season. Yeah, you know it's so it's so weird. It, it linebacker has gone the way of what defense is run running back to some of these analytics people, right? Or or just the NFL in general. But it, it's it's killing the Browns. It really is at times. So um, is I certainly think it'll get addressed in the off season. I mean, you kind of have to at this point. Um, and you can uh, overcome I, it, right? Like yeah, you can overcome yeah. it with elite. If you have elite coverage players behind. Your linebackers in an elite group of, of, of pass rushers and really a scheme that can create advantageous situations for your linebackers. You can overcome it. You can cheat play. You can cheat play them. Uh, it's kind of the same way on offense. If you have elite wide receivers tied in running the uh, offensive line and a really good quarterback, you can overcome an average to below average running back because you can create yards in other ways. Yes. It's the same way for the defense. You have to be able to be fantastic up front or fantastic behind them probably both if you want to be really good um, and right now the browns are just sort of average outside of miles they're very average up front and outside of denzel they're not playing very well in the secondary so you're then you then it becomes magnified then it becomes oh god the linebackers are even worse than we thought because they're not their mistakes or their issues or their inadequacies are not being cleaned up by those in front or behind so it's just yeah. magnifying it man that's just what it is yeah that makes total sense and and even that i would say on top of that jake just in my opinion even if you're going to take that approach 
to the linebacker position, like, hey, we're going to be really good behind him, we're going to be really good in front of him. I still think you want to put, at at worst, elite athletes in there, and they're not even at that level yet. So, except for maybe, you know, Phillips, I think, could be a pretty good athlete in there. Malcolm Smith, like you said, has played really well, but he's a veteran, and and it's more of a heady player, I would think, right? So, um, we'll see how they go forward from here, but certainly it needs to be addressed in the offseason. You mentioned, uh, you know, the front has been disappointing as well as far as Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson. We, we saw them get wiped out by the Raiders, right, uh, up front there. Um, Ogunjobi, contract year, free agency, is that is that pretty much a done deal in your eyes? Is he walking? I, I don't see them offering him a contract during the season. Uh, I, I thought at the beginning of the year it was worth a conversation, but it seems almost now like it might be a natural progression to work Jordan Elliott in. Where are you at with that? I, I don't know. I think I think the, the the logical thing to think right now is that they'll move on from Larry. And if there was an abundance of options out there this offseason, either through the draft or free agency, they would even maybe consider moving on from the hefty uh, final year of Sheldon Richardson's contract. Right. But they a have not seen Jordan Elliott has not been the level of player I hoped he could show early on. Okay, and obviously Andrew Billings will be back next year. Right, uh, so. Uh, I listen. The, the defensive tackle position is one I'm having a hard time predicting. I think they'll obviously keep Sheldon because they need somebody they feel good about. Logic says Larry Ogunjobi before the year, like you said, a conversation could have happened. Uh, maybe they they certainly wanted him to prove it in his final year. He's been so inconsistent. You'll have these flashes on film where you're like, oh my god, who was that guy? Yeah. And then you'll have games where he just disappears and you'll grade at a thirty like he did against the Raiders, where he's just getting washed down in gap schemes and he can't eat a double team and do anything and he right. gets no pressure on the quarterback. It's just like he's just out there. And I I've interviewed Larry. I've talked to him several times. A great human being, a guy I really pull for because I think he's a great person in the Cleveland community. And uh, it's just it's just he's too inconsistent. I don't know why he has not unlocked another level of his play uh, to be an average player yet, let alone getting above average to really good. Um, Is there is there a world in which they look at the draft class of defensive tackle, which is very thin? They look at the free agency market, which is very thin, and they say, hey, we should just run it back another year, try to keep Larry on maybe a one year, three and a half deal, something like that and we run it back with these four that we have in place right now, I think that's certainly possible just because they don't want to force it in an offseason where there's not an abundance of talent. You know, maybe uh, Marvin Wilson's even gone by the time. You know, there's just not a ton of defensive tackles hmm. that you want to really you really want to push for early in this draft. I just don't, I don't love the draft class. I don't love the free agent market for the position. So it, it, it certainly, I think, has a higher probability at this time of seeing many of the same guys back. Uh, that, that are there right now and then maybe Andrew Billings is a part of things that can push things a little bit a guy who's coming into his own in the year just last year with Cincinnati a little bit before they let him go were able to work out a deal with him so maybe that's an element I, I'm not sure but I think if if they think Billings uh, getting into the rotation can push them and they say hey we're going to start Billings we're going to start Sheldon and we're going to bring uh, Larry for 15 to 20 snaps off the bench and maybe maybe that's what Larry's best suited for giving us 15 to 20 hard snaps at the three tech instead of the shade maybe we can let him play a little bit more fast at that position that's mm-hmm. certainly possible so uh yeah a lot to shake out there a lot to be seen over the second half of the year but I'm not expecting some miracle overhaul of that position this offseason 
Yeah, I just I just envisioned from the beginning with Okunjobi, and like you said, the lack of talent that really is out there at that position, that if he does see the free agent market, it's unlikely that he's coming back to Cleveland. Uh, I just think somebody would probably overpay for him someplace else. It's generally kind of what happens in the NFL. Yeah, it's pretty rare you see a guy sign back a one-year deal with the team they were with right. because they, they, they want to change the scenery. Maybe they feel more comfortable in a different system. Uh, you know, maybe a fresh change of, 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 of scenery can can help them. And, and yeah, it just takes one team coming in and say, hey, we really value this guy doing this one thing and we'll give him more than your, you know, than the Cleveland Browns are willing to give him. So my guess is he's gone, but but you never know. It could, it yeah. could look at he could look at it and say, hey, I still think I have a good opportunity here. And and um, it, it, I listen, who, who knows? But I think you're, you're probably right about him being gone at the end of the year. Uh, Denzel Ward. I mean, he's a guy, right, that we have to look at a fifth-year extension on, right? First-round draft pick. Uh, he's in the same boat as Baker, right? What, what do we do with Denzel Ward, Jake? I, I think that he plays well the second half of the year. They'll sign him. They'll link him to some sort of deal. Um, they Listen, again, I think they'll pay early on a lot of these guys because they don't know where the salary cap's going. In some aspects, it's going to be a weird year next year. Yeah. I think they'll look at they'll look at paying him early. Uh, if they can, if he dominates over the second half of the next year. But at the minimum, they'll pick up his fifth-year option. They'll try to get him signed long-term after his fourth year. He, he's a long-term part of this thing. You, you, you know, Denzel's not – he's not elite yet. He's not in the top tier, the, the, the upper, upper top tier. But he's just below. He, he, he plays the football well at the point of arrival. He's twitchy. You put him in situations where he can cover from a man, a shade man perspective where he can, he can press bail and run with people and mirror them. He's, he's very good. Yeah. And uh, you, those guys aren't growing on trees out there, man. So you're certainly not letting Denzel walk away. Like I said, he finishes the rest of this year healthy, continues to play the good football that he's playing, tackling well in space, doing some of those different things, uh, you know, at a very, very good level. He'll he'll get his money, whether it comes this upcoming offseason or they wait, they'll pick up the fifth year option for sure. I have no doubt about that. And then they'll ink him after his fourth year. But, yeah, they're not going to let Denzel leave and, and, and justifiably so. Good. Very good. Uh, that's what I hope to hear from you, and uh, that sounds that that's what I expected. I mean, he it's him and and, and Garrett right now, right? Uh, pretty much, and them trying to extend drives and hope somebody makes a mistake, and and that's really not a sustainable way to hope. Uh, depend on the turnover, you, you can't sustain success that way. But certainly, uh, um, it has kept them in it so thus far. You know, get them to five and three. So hopefully, they can make some adjustments and look better in the second half. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Jake Burns is our guest film analyst and football writer at the OBR. Uh, fantastic work uh, with Film Breakdown. Uh, check out everything that he does at the OBR and follow him on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18. You will not regret it. Uh, and uh, finally, last question here before I let you go. I've kept you for a long time, Jake. I apologize. I just can't. Uh, you're fantastic. I can't. I got to keep asking you this stuff. So uh, is it? Is it a must that the Browns make the playoffs in your eyes? So, like, if they go 9-7 and seven and miss the playoffs, the arrow's still pointed up, in my opinion. Is it – do you look at it like a failure, though? Like, the season is a failure if they don't get in the playoffs? Look, I, I wrote about this. I've, I've talked about it a little bit. I would have – at the trade deadline, my perspective was making a push on some sort of player. I didn't think you had to go get Quentin Williams – or make some mega deal that that, that, that that risks your future. But I thought going to get someone like Desmond King was a smart move because anything you can do to bolster your chances to make the playoffs this year. Uh, and and, and yeah. my rationale is this, and it's a subjective thing, and people might not agree with me, but 
the Browns GM head coach pairing is always on alert. They're just until I'm proven otherwise from this franchise, from this leadership group, until they actually keep somebody and show me that they have a, 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 a continual plan, I will always think that the head coach and GM could be fired at any given point. They might have said behind closed doors to Andrew Barry and, and Kevin Stefanski and, and Paul DePodesta in the same office saying the same thing of, we're going to keep this plan rolling, we, we trust this, we're going to give you five years, we're going to give you whatever. I don't believe it until I see it. Look, it's not often you get an opportunity where you start a year five and three, you have a chance in expanded playoffs to make the playoffs – uh, in, in a franchise that hasn't been there since 2002, 2003, whatever whatever you carried into the year it was. But 17 years. They haven't been there in, in 17 years. And for me, it was I would do whatever I can from a head coach and GM pairing. If I'm those guys and sitting there having a beer with them, I do whatever I can to get into the playoffs. Because what that does is you just did something in a, in a shortened offseason the odds stacked against you you did something that nobody else has done in cleveland for 15 16 17 years that's get the franchise to the playoffs there's Hmm. something to that for the fan base for the franchise and i know you were never going to make a deal that was going to make you a better team overall than the chiefs or the steelers or whatever but it's a ticket to the dance and whatever happens in that dance can sometimes be surprising and you just never know and there's something to doing something here that would cement yourself as a foreseeable long-term piece. And if, you, if you're if you Stefanski and Barry and you got the team to the playoffs, you almost become untouchable. You're not going to fire those guys. They right. did something that was unforeseen. Sorry, not unforeseen, but, but, but was something that nobody else has done. You're going to fire those guys after two or three years? No, hell no. You're going to give them a chance to over the long haul build. But if this second half of the year, because they don't have that missing piece in the secondary or whatever, just any any little bit amount of help they could have gotten. And sometimes it's just a fresh uh, perspective of your players of saying, these guys believe in us, man. They went out and did something. Let me prove them right. That, Morale listen, the boost. Trade, the, yep. Exactly. The, the trade deadline's come and gone. I'm past that. But what my perspective was is is whatever you could do to get in the playoffs, get in the playoffs. Because yep. if you don't, if say you go 8-8 eight and eight the rest of the way and you miss the playoffs, or you go 9-7 and seven and because of the Oakland loss, you miss the playoffs, all of a sudden, and if this year, and if the end of the year doesn't go great with your quarterback, and then all of a sudden you're in a quarterback dilemma going into your second year. And all of a sudden you, you have bad quarterback play. Case Keenum comes in week eight. You play you play six and ten. The fan base is grumbling after your second year. Then yep. the heat is on. Then all yep. of a sudden weird things happen in that next offseason. Or a bad draft pick. Jed Wills doesn't pay. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, Brad. Like yep. You have to go get it when you can get it. They have a favorable schedule in the second half of the year for the first time in what seems like forever. You play Pittsburgh and Baltimore, but yeah, you play Pittsburgh week 17, and they're already 8-0, and they might be resting people. You yep. play three games coming out of this thing that you can win against the Eagles being one of the beat up, more beat-up teams in football coming into Cleveland. You have the Texans, who are 2-6, and six, who, are, who are in the middle of a coaching change, in the middle of um, you know a, a brutal first half of the year that has that team feeling defeated, or sorry, defeated. And you just have a ton of winnable games. The Titans just lost to the Bengals. You have an opportunity here that is so rare to push for the playoffs. And it's just year to year in the NFL, you never know. And to me, it was like, I'm doing whatever I can do to get in the playoffs. Because next year's schedule could be the same first early season schedule that that the freaking Texans had to deal with. And all of a sudden, you're starting two and six yourself. And everybody's saying, hey, man, this isn't working out. What's next? So. I don't know. They play the they play the NFC North next year, which is a, is a challenge in and of itself all the time. So 
Look, but I don't know, man. I've said I don't know 14 times. I truly don't. I, I, I just think that when the playoffs are there and you can do whatever you can to get there, I would be pushing for it. And if they don't make the playoffs, it will, at this point, with where they're at at 5-3, and three, with the remaining schedule, it will undoubtedly be a disappointment. And I hate to say that because it's a coaching staff and a GM and a whole completely changed front office in a year that they were depleted in terms of the time and resources they would be normally able to have. But these chances, they just don't come around often where, you, where you're able yeah. to win some games early and you have a favorable schedule the rest of the year and you have relatively good health now with players coming back. It would be pretty disappointing for them not to get to the playoffs. Yeah, next year, you're not promised to be in this position next year just because you're here this year, right? It's not like uh, it's one year in the NFL to the to the next. Weird things happen, uh, you know, to all the time. Good teams end up bad. Bad teams end up good. It's just it's different one year to the next. Doesn't carry over as much as maybe like basketball or baseball, right? Where you can build years on years on years. Of course, you can. But from one year to the next, like you said, strange things happen, and you're not guaranteed this position again. It certainly makes sense, everything you're saying there, and I, I would have to agree. At least even a small move to me would have made sense like, hey, like you said, like, uh, oh, they really believe in us. They, you know, and, and that boosts everybody or just a change, just kind of boosts everybody's change of mind. Like, hey, maybe this this one piece can make a difference on the defensive side of the ball. Right. Uh, and maybe that attitude change makes a difference. I, I completely agree with you. It makes total sense. Yeah. And listen, it's not the end of the world. You know, the, the trade deadline came and went and, and it's over now. They can still. They can still do some great things, but that was that was the position I had before the trade deadline, and, and yeah. that translate the position I had before it translates into what you're asking now. I I would be disappointed if they don't find a way in. Yeah, I would be too. Uh, Jake Burns, the OBR film analyst and football writer, spectacular job as always, sir. Uh, I am a huge fan and. Uh, uh, thanks so much of your work. So thank you so much for your time. I know I kept you forever, but uh, it was very enjoyable. Great stuff. Hey, thanks, Brad. I'm a big fan of yours as well, man. Appreciate all the kind words and uh, and always appreciate you having me on. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we'll do it again uh, here in, in, uh, in the future for sure. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks again. Wow. Uh, just uh, outstanding stuff. I mean, seriously, though, Jake Burns is uh, the best. Uh, I, I mean, he's the best there is when it comes to breaking this stuff down. If you are a Browns fan, there's nobody better to follow or listen to and read his breakdowns. Uh, I would go to the OBR right now, check out the screen piece he was talking about at the beginning of the interview there. I kept him a long time. I, it's greedy on my part. Uh, <laughs> greedy! Greedy? Yes, greedy on my part. And uh, but you know, what can you do? The guy, I mean, the guy's fantastic. Every question he's 
so in depth, so thought through. He just he just breaks it down like nobody else can, and uh, you got to take advantage of him when we got him on the air here on All Eyes on Cleveland. So big thanks to Jake Burns, film analyst and football writer at the OBR. He heads up the OBR film breakdown as well. They've got a YouTube channel as well, so uh, go check that out. Mikey, go ahead and kill that music for me. So great stuff there, uh, obviously, in that interview. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Mikey is on the ones and twos. My name is Brad Ward. I am your host. This is a show where we interview the top personalities in the Cleveland sports landscape, discussing the pressing issues that face our favorite sports NFL team, the Cleveland Browns. Um, So... Great stuff, as I mentioned there, again, from Jake Burns. But one of the things we talked about, and that last topic is fantastic. You know, he's right, though, about the playoffs. Like, if you miss the playoffs in this situation, it's a disappointment. And something that Scott used to say when we had our show together, Scott Dryden, all the time is, in football, one year doesn't carry over to the next. Like, there's a – necessarily. Like, it can. You can build on it and get better as a team. It That does happen. But oftentimes, one year doesn't necessarily carry over to the next weird thing. It happens. Schedules are harder. You lose games early. Injuries. There's just – you don't know. There's so many factors, right? So the fact that you're sitting at five and three – with this schedule in front of you that has a lot of favorable aspects to it, makes you want to think that you can take advantage of it. To play devil's advocate to that idea, you do want to save rollover cap money for next year because, you know, we're probably looking at that, you know, minimum uh, $175 million salary cap that everybody's going to be at, and some teams are already over that with their existing rosters. They've got work to cut back. They're going to have to get rid of players. But the Browns, depending on what contracts they sign, aren't in that situation yet and will have significant rollover cap money, which will be favorable in this year more than it would be in another year. So that's there, but to Jake's point, you could have acquired a player for not very much. I mean, these guys, a lot of influential players were getting traded around the NFL for a fifth and a third or a fifth and, and you know, a player, whatever. They use sixth round picks, seventh round picks, a fifth and a seventh, and or a fifth next year and a seventh in 2023 gets you a, a, a cornerback to add to this group that maybe improves the group. As he mentioned, Desmond King. I mentioned him on our on our uh, trade deadline uh, show as a guy that would fit. Anthony Harris. You know they're playing better now. The Vikings out of nowhere, but you know still there was guys there to be had, and even sometimes just the idea of bringing a guy into the locker room. And maybe shuffle some personnel because of that and things fit better. And 
there's a belief there that you are working towards something special and adding a player it just increases that belief they really believe in us there's a, a belief that you are a playoff team and you should be there when you when you buy at the deadline interesting interesting stuff really good stuff i i would have to agree that it would be a disappointment to not get in the playoffs at this point Brown's got tough games coming up. I mean, this Texans team, I'm sorry, there's some bad aspects to it. Like, their defense is not played well at all. The Browns should have their way. But their their pass game is terrific, and, and Deshaun Watson is very good, playing his best football of his life. Somehow they're still losing. But, I mean, and it's a mess over there. Was a mess, at least. They seem to be rallying around Romeo a little bit. But, but there's guys, I mean... There's talent there, and there's there's an offense that can get up and down the field on you, and Deshaun will beat you if you let him. So it's a huge game this weekend. Coming out of this bye week after that Raiders loss, it almost feels like another loss on the bye week, the way they got leapfrogged in the standings with the Raiders winning a big game against the Chargers. The Dolphins beating the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray in a shootout with Tua. I mean, that that makes those teams legit. You've got to step up if you're the Browns. And this game could be a total jumping off point for the next few weeks because, you know, the Eagles are very beatable. But they'll beat you if you don't do it. I mean, we've seen it, right? Same thing with the Texans. We've seen them play really good teams really close. They're better than their record says. I'll tell you that. And and they will beat the Browns if they do not come ready to play with a good plan. And I expect, more importantly, I think the offense will perform well. But they can score with you. So what are you going to do, Joe Woods, on defense what adjustments are you going to make in the second half of this season that are going to help you get off the field on third down? Because it's been nauseatingly difficult for your team to stop anyone for two weeks. It's turnovers are not. That's just not a sustainable way to gain success is with turnovers. It helped them huge in some games. But that's not something you can depend on on a week-in, week-out basis. You have to be able to get off the field on third down. You have to be able to get pressure on the quarterback. One sack a game from Garrett is not pressure. It's not. That's great for his individual accolades. That's all he needs to do to be the leading sack, whatever. That's not good enough for this defense. Here are the adjustments. I mentioned this before, and this is all eyes on Cleveland, and we're going to get out of here in just a moment. Here are the adjustments that I would like to see or would from watching film and breaking down what they're playing, the cover three Seattle press bail. Uh, Sendejo has been terrible. Uh, there are other guys, that, as as Jake mentioned, Mac Wilson, Taki Taki has been terrible. These are the changes that I would have made or would like to see 
moving forward on the defense. Let's start on the back end. It's an easy one, okay? Sendejo out, Harrison to free safety, a healthy Joseph at strong safety. Harrison, Joseph, use Sendejo if you want to work that dime package in. He can get on the field if you want to go that way. But as much as he said he wanted to do that, Joe Woods, as he said he wanted to use that, he hasn't been able to because Delpit got hurt. And they haven't gone to that as much. It's been a lot, almost all cover three and cover four. Seattle cover three, press bail, and cover four. People are eating those zones alive because your linebackers can't cover and your safety, Sandejo, lets everything happen right in front of his face. Total reactionary guy. Step slow. It's a problem. Harrison to free safety. Joseph to strong. Next, uh, let's go to the corners. Corners, same. Money Mitch, left side, Denzel, right side. That's the way Joe plays it. He plays them on their sides. That's the same way Seattle played it. That's where the, his roots in this defense come from. So you got Money Mitch, Denzel. I don't have huge complaints with them, except that I would like to see them play the press more. The, oftentimes they are in the cover three, but they're not getting all the way up on the press. For whatever reason, they're playing back and just bailing into those situations. The cornerback technique is just bailing and running with the receiver, but you're not, you're giving away so much in front of you because the rest of, like, your linebackers aren't great and stuff in coverage. I agree here with Jake Burns. My starting. Three linebackers would be Malcolm Smith, Goodson, and Jacob Phillips, who I believe is back and healthy this week. If they get him back, you know, Jake was wishy or not wishy-washy, iffy, iffy on Jacob Phillips uh, so far. I like what I've seen. Obviously, he's made some mistakes. He's a rookie, but he's fast, and he can tackle. And I think that he is a guy that is part of their future there. I would like to see him on the field. When they have three linebackers on the field, it should be Goodson, Phillips, and Malcolm Smith. Mix in a little Mac Wilson if you want. But he hasn't been good either. But these are the changes that I would make. Okay, I keep Kevin Johnson at the nickel. Up front. It's Garrett, Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson, obviously. Those are shoe-ins, right? But here's my little changes up front. I would rather see more Adrian Claiborne than Olivier Vernon. Opposite Garrett. I just would. Vernon does not get it done for me. He doesn't get it done in the run game. He doesn't get it done in the pass game. He's not... He's been a total disappointment as a signing for the Browns, in my opinion. I'm sure he's a great guy, but he has not lived up to the money paid to him and in the trade, uh, and he has not uh, been what is needed in that front four. He's a name. He has not performed. Adrian Claiborne, however, when given opportunities on the field, where they give him like 20 and 25 snaps or whatever, has performed, I would give him more snaps. If you don't want to give him more than 
Maybe you push it to 30 snaps. If you don't want to give him more than 30 snaps, work Porter Gustin in. I would rather see Porter Gustin on the field than Olivier Vernon. That's where I'm at. The front four. Ogan Joby, Sheldon Richardson, you're going to have Elliott and Vincent Taylor. That's all you have there. Those front four guys, they got to step it up. But Claiborne and Gustin provide, and at times I would say this, I would move Gustin inside or Garrett inside and go like Claiborne, Richardson, Garrett, Gustin. Or Gustin Garrett on passing downs, on third downs. That's a better pass rush than what you're getting right now. Claiborne has got to see more snaps. If he's limited because of his age or whatever, then work Porter Gustin in more. Olivia Vernon obviously is going to play snaps, but he's playing too many. He doesn't get the job done. Once again, changes. Harrison, Joseph, your starting safeties. Your starting linebackers would be Malcolm Smith, Goodson, and Jacob Phillips. I keep the corners the same. Your nickel corner remains the same at Kevin Johnson. Sandeo can work in in any dime situations. You want to get a third safety on the field? That's fine. But he shouldn't be your, your free safety that never leaves the field. I don't think he's left the field for a defensive snap this season. Like, if, if he has, it's been one or two. That is not why he was brought here. He should not be on the field that much. He's not good enough to command that kind of playing time. He's bad. He's bad. Uh, Garrett, Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson. I would work in Claiborne more than Vernon, and if... Claiborne is limited due to snaps because of his age or whatnot. I think you could get him to 30, 35 snaps. But if you have to work in Porter Gustin more, I would. I would rather see Porter Gustin worked in to either side over Olivier Vernon and on the inside at times. You can work him in on the inside on third downs. Porter Gustin has been a pleasant surprise at times. Jordan Elliott and Vincent Taylor fill in as your rotational pieces on the inside. Major change there is Harrison at free safety, Joseph at strong. Your linebackers switch up. I I think Malcolm Smith, like Jake said, deserves more playing time. Goodson and Jacob Phillips, I think, can run and tackle. I would rather see him on the field than Wilson or Taki Taki at this point. And then Claiborne, I believe, should get more snaps, and Gustin should get more snaps to lower the amount of snaps that Olivier Vernon is getting because he is not productive, in my mind. This has been All Eyes on Cleveland. I hope you've enjoyed. We are working hard to get you to the YouTube page. Huge game, Texans on Sunday. Go to www.alleyesoncleveland.com. You can listen to the show there. You can leave your review. Or you can grab it where all popular podcasts are found. Jake Burns was spectacular, as always. I hope you enjoyed another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland as we head into the 
huge Week 10 matchup at home against the Texans. Take it all in. You can get excited. Brown's got to make a run to the playoffs now. You've been listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. For Mikey, I am Brad Ward. We are out.